thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity we have to come to worship you and to study your word. We ask you to be with us and guide us as we study. In Jesus' name, amen. Judges chapter 10. And after Abimelech, there arose to defend Israel, Tola, the son of Puha, the son of Dodo, a man of Issachar. And he dwelt in Shamir on Mount Ephraim. And he judged Israel 23 years and died and was buried in Shamir. All right, that's a, this is all we know about this one leader. Uh, it's kind of an interesting thing. This chapter is going to give us two leaders of Israel that we know nothing about. And I, I kind of thought this, I was thinking about this. Why would God put these in here just to tell us that somebody was there? And I really think it was to show us that even if there's nothing great in our life that we can point to, God recognizes that, we've, that we have served him in some way. And I think that's important for us as Christians because I oftentimes meet people who go, well, I don't do anything for God or God never uses me. And I, I keep trying to share with people, you have no idea what God's done with, for, with you and, and through you until you get to heaven. Because we don't know what impact we have on people's lives when they look at our life. Uh, just our faithfulness of coming to church is going to impact people. The, the little things we say and do, the prayers we give for people, may be just that little thing that changes their life. And we may never, ever be aware of it until we get to heaven. You know, so I just want to say, I think these two names that they're getting ready to give us in the first four verses here, or five verses here, are literally just so that we know that God recognizes whatever service is done. And it's kind of interesting. If you look at this guy's name, I mean, it would be terrible to have this name. This name, Tola, means worm. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine some, some parents calling their kid worm. But, but, you know, that's interesting because his father's name means splendid and Dodo means beloved. So he's, he's worm, worm, the son of, of splendid, or the son of uh, beloved. This, this family is going downhill fast as it gets to him. But he gets to be the leader of Israel. Uh, but I just thought it was interesting. when I, was, I like looking up what the names mean sometimes because sometimes they, those names can mean something. And I, and I have a feeling that he was named Worm probably for a reason. He probably wasn't the most righteous person and the best, best person, but it doesn't say anything negative about him, and it says nothing negative about Israel during his, during his reign, but it also says nothing positive about them. All right? And this is following, remember, he is following Abimelech, and remember during Abimelech's time, there's that civil war going on where, where uh, the people declare him king over their city, and then they go to get rid of him. <laughs> so he, he's following a time where he's just maintaining the country. And it's kind of just interesting. And, and he judges for 23 years, which is a pretty long reign. And then in the, verse 3, And after him arose Jair the Gilead, and he judged Israel 22 years, he had 30 sons and rode on 30 don uh, donkey colts, and they had 30 cities with, which are called Hova Jair unto this day, which are in the lands of Gilead. And Jair died and was buried in Camon. All right, so here we have another really outstanding, outstanding man. 
he gets known for having 30 sons, riding 30 donkeys, and having 30 cities named after him. He liked 30. Yeah, they yeah, liked 30 for some reason in this case. But you know this? He had 30 cities named after him because Hovath means village of. So wherever he was, apparently, and his son settled, they named it after him. So his claim to fame is riding donkeys and having cities named after him. <laughs> but again, we don't see anything negative said about Israel during this time. And he's going to reign for 22 years, which is quite an interesting thing that the, these people, so for 45 years, nothing negative is said about Israel, nothing good is said about Israel. They just exist. Now, I bring this up because the next, they go back to negative. So while these guys had nothing outstanding for them to be able to be pointed to, it appears that during their reign, they at least kept people following God. All right? They may not have been outstanding, but they were just servants of God by the, by the, by the appearance of this. There's nothing bad enough for them to say, and Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, which has been the, the catchphrase all along <laughs> in this book. So I think this is kind of significant, all right? And I believe that there are many, many believers of Christ that follow the pattern of these two. They're just believers. They live their life as faithful as, as they can. They don't ever do anything really outstanding for God. But people know and follow God while, while they're around. And I think this is something that's just there. And I think it's wonderful that God put it there. Just to say, be faithful. And faithfulness has its own recognition. And again, we don't know what it is that God's going to reward us for when we get to heaven. Uh, I've told you all I love the song, Thank You, and it goes, I dreamed I went to heaven, you were there with me. And then all these people come up and say things to say thank you to him. You know, thank you for giving the change you gave to the, for the missionaries. I'm, I'm a soul that came to Christ because you gave that little bit. Thank you for the prayers you made. Thank you for, you know, your service in Sunday school. Thank you for this, you know. You know, just little things that we don't ever think of as being great things a lot of times and maybe saw no great moves of God from it. You know, none of us, none of us were Billy Graham preaching to millions of people. But God says, you're faithful and it's been noted. It's been noted in the books. And when we get to heaven, I think there's going to be people who are going to say thank you to us because they're going to know that we were the one that prayed and when we bent our knees and prayed, prayed for people, prayed for people on our prayer list, prayed for missionaries when they come to our minds, prayed for people's health. Uh, oftentimes, people that I know come to my mind just out of, the blue, out of the clear blue, and I'll just say, God, I don't know what's going on, but you know what's going on. Touch their, touch their life. And as I keep on my mind, I call them. <laughs> say, hey, what's going on? What, you know, is there anything specific I can pray about? Because you've been on my mind a lot. But those are the little things, I think, that fall under these five verses. Just the little things that say you are faithful. And God takes note. Took note of these two so much that he put them in, gave them five verses in the Bible. Now that's, pretty, that's actually pretty significant because you think, how many people lived in Israel during those 55 years that didn't get, in, get into the Bible? You know, most of the population did not get into the Bible. So I just wanted to bring that... Well, it's an honor to be mentioned, uh, usually. Sometimes you don't want to be mentioned in the Bible because you'd be dishonored for the rest of, rest of time. The Bible calls out that these guys were minor judges. 
I think they mean basically that we don't know anything about them. Okay. Kind of as opposed to when you read uh, uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel, they're called the major prophets, not because they were really superstar prophets, but they wrote big books. There's a lot, we know a lot about them. As opposed to the minor prophets, which have very powerful books and people sometimes forget to read them because they're, some people go, well, they're just minor prophets. No, they're very powerful. They're just very short books and we don't know a lot about them. So I think that's what they're saying on it as a, as a just a st statement of, okay, we know a lot about Deborah, a little bit about Deborah. We know a lot about Gideon, uh, uh, Abimelech. Uh, we knew quite a bit, but these guys, like I say, get five sentences, uh, five verses to tell us anything about them. And, um, and then the big statement for Jair is that he died. <laughs> and he was buried in, in Coma. Coman. Uh, so, and his name means enlightened. So I don't know if it was meaning that he really followed God or not. But, you know. but I just wanted to bring those out. I just thought it was funny when I read these, these little things. Here's two people. We're just going to give you their names. They judged and nothing else about them. And I would hope that they did something during their time as judge, but there's nothing significant that they did. And and again, I'm assuming that because there's nothing negative said here. Because everywhere else we see, and they did evil in the sight of the Lord and followed followed idols, and God judged them for 55 years. We don't see any judgment, which to me means that they are keeping God, keeping the children of Israel in line. They're not, they're not going off, you know, they're not think, getting a big head and trying to, you know, build themselves up. They're not leading Israel wrong. It just seems like for 55 years, as a nation, as a whole, they're following God. And I think that's, as you said, very significant for this period of time in this book. Any, any period of time following God is pretty significant in the book of Judges. And so we see them following God for 55 years as far as we can tell. And again, I, I, I preference that because we want to be very careful when, we, when it doesn't say something that we don't make too much of a big deal out of it. But in this book, I think it would have been a big deal if they were not serving God because that's the whole theme of Judges. And I think that's why there not, not much is said about them. There was nothing to say within the theme of the book. And again, we talked about this at the very beginning. The theme of the book is... Israel does what's right in their own sight. They sin against God. They follow other gods, and God sends them into captivity and then sends a judge. And these guys are just set, noted. These were judges in a time when we didn't follow the same pattern. Because I think if they, that pattern had been followed, God would have said so. So I think it is that they followed God during that 55 years. Otherwise, I think he would have said so. And that's speculative, in my opinion, and it's worth what it is, nothing. <laughs> uh, but it doesn't, like I say, it doesn't follow the pattern of the book, so I, I'm assuming that they followed God. Perfectly? Probably not. <laughs> but nobody follows God perfectly. No nation follows God perfectly. No, no individual follows God perfectly. Verse 6. And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord, and served Baalim and Ashtaroth and the gods of Syria and the gods of Sidon and the gods of Moab and the gods of the children of Ammon and the gods of the Philistines and forsook the Lord and served him not. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he sold them into the hands of the Philistines and into the hands of the children of Ammon. And that year they 
they vexed them, vexed and oppressed the children of Israel 18 years, all the children of Israel that were on the other side of the Jordan in the land of, of the Amorites, which is in Gilead. Moreover, the children of Ammon passed over Jordan to fight also against Judah and against Benjamin and against the house of Ephraim, so that the Lord was sore distressed. So that Israel was sore distressed. I was going to let me make any sense. <laughs> all right. So here we are 55 years later, and they're back to their normal pattern. They are sinning against God by serving. Look at this list of gods that they're serving. They, they don't, these guys are so fickle. They, they don't want just one god. They served Baalim, Astaroth, Astaroth, which are the two normal fertility gods we talk about. But not only that, they're following all the gods of Syria, the gods of Zidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of Ammon, the gods of the Philistine, and they forsake the Lord God. These guys just won't stay with God. And... We think about this, and you know, I kind of make light of it, you know, but we do the same thing quite often when we go off our own direction and serve God, and, and the world serves God, other gods other than God. And, but the children of Israel kept following these idols over and over again. And the really strange thing about this, and we've got to really kind of understand this, when you worship to God, your idea is that your God can deliver you and protect you. The gods that they keep picking to serve are the ones that God has destroyed, you know, kicked out of the land in the first place. <laughs> okay? Let's go beat all these worshipers of Baal and Ashtaroth, and then they keep going back to Baal and Ashtaroth to worship, worship them. They go, you've destroyed Syria, you've destroyed Zidon, you've destroyed Moab, and you're going to go back and worship their gods. It, when you think about it, it makes no sense that they did this but how often do we go back to the, the weak things of our life and our sin and our flesh? When, when God delivers us and then we find ourselves going right back again to participate in the same things that failed us before we became a Christian, that failed us after we became a Christian, God delivers us and moves us on, and we go back into the same sin over and over again. Pretty much the same thing they're doing here. Even though it's hard to imagine it, we all do it. We all go back into the weak and beggarly things of our, of our existence. Which is part of the reason I picked the memory verse we're working on this month. The 2 Corinthians 10.4, it says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the tearing down of strongholds. What are those strongholds? The strongholds in the flesh and the mind. God gives us the power to defeat the strongholds of our mind and not keep going back to them and back to them, and back to them. He wants us to tear down those because the next part of that scripture says uh, that they're tearing down of all the imaginations that rise up against God. Okay, And I didn't want to tax everybody with two verses at one time, but the second part of it is really important. Okay, That we're to tear down every imagination that exalts itself against God. These people kept going back to the to the gods that had been defeated and kept going back and will continue to keep going back to them all the way through the kings until they're conquered in, through, through uh, Assyria and through Babylon and they keep going back to these same gods that have been defeated over and over and over again that do not give them any power 
And it's very much what we do in our life. And we need to be so careful about these things. And he says, they've gone to all these gods and did not serve God. Which I think that statement's a kind of an interesting one. Not that God wants to share glory with other gods, but not only did they turn their back from God for a whole pantheon of gods, they totally rejected God in the process. It wasn't even like, okay, we're going to put God here in Ashtaroth and Baalim and, and Moloch and all these other gods. They go, we're going to take all these gods of God, we're going to just throw you out the window. Uh, they did not serve him. He wasn't even in, on their radar in, amongst all these other gods. You know, it was bad enough when, after 400 AD when, the, when Catholicism kind of came along and all these gods got added together and jumbled together, but they tried to include God. You now, you can't include God with other gods, but these guys go really far. They're just going, okay, God, we're going to follow all these gods and we're going to get rid of you. We're not going to follow you at all. And again, we do that oftentimes when we get, fall into our sins and fall into our, our weaknesses and say, God, I'm just giving up on you. And we may not actually say that, but in reality, that's what we do. We get so busy with our flesh and our, and our sin that we go dancing off and doing everything and leave God behind. And very dangerous place to be. And if you're one of his children, God does not let you get away with it. He will get hold of you. Now, if you're not his children, he'll let you do what you want until he brings judgment. And he's going to bring judgment on the children of Israel because he says they're his children. They may not think they are, but God says, I am. And he's going to give them discipline. And his discipline in this case, and it says in verse 7, the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he sold them into the hands of the Philistines and into the hands of the children of Ammon. God was angry. And I think this is significant. God gets angry sometimes. Now, when God gets angry, he does not sin. We as human beings have a hard time being angry and not sinning. God has no problem with being angry and not sinning. When he gets angry, he is totally justified. Why is he angry in this case? They're following every god but him. They're not even thinking about him. It says they, served, they didn't serve him. They're not following him. He's not even on their thought processes, and they've abandoned him. And that made God angry with his children. And, you know, sometimes he gets angry with us. And the last thing we want is God to be angry with us. And because that is time for discipline. And being disappointed is one thing. I mean, it's one thing for him to be disappointed with us. But when he gets to the point where he's angry, look out. Look out because this is what's happening to them. They've been sold into captivity uh, for what, the third, fifth time, I think, in the book of Judges. I haven't counted up, counted up this time. Uh, and this time it's with the Philistines on the western side. The Philistia is on the border of the Mediterranean Sea toward Egypt, between Egypt and the border and Israel. And Ammon, which is on the other side of the Jordan River, on the, where the two and a half tribes are staying. If you remember, the two and a half tribes started out over on that side. So they're on the south side of those tribes. And uh, so he's given them to two different places. And then in verse 8 it says, In that year they vexed and oppressed the children of Israel. Vexed and oppressed. Vexed literally means shattered into pieces. And oppressed means to crush. 
All right. So we're seeing, if you want to talk about being, having a hard time, they're being crushed and shattered. And I don't know if you've ever been in a place where you feel like God is allowing you to be shattered and crushed. Some of us get that way once in a while. But he says, in that year that he sold them, they vexed him and crushed them. And then if that wasn't enough, 18 years all the children of Israel that were on the other side of the Jordan in the land of Amorites, which is in Gilead. So Ammon did this for 18 years to the two and a half tribes. How would you like to be shattered into pieces and crushed for 18 years? Bad enough when it's just a short time while God's trying to get your attention, which kind of tells me that they weren't giving God their attention. Okay, 18 years of discipline. I thought it was taking a long time when it took me six years to learn my lesson. This is 18 years and they don't learn their lesson for 18 years. That is pretty severe. And I hope nobody ever has to go 18 years being disciplined by God. That's, a, that's hard. Uh, like I said, I thought I was slow doing it for six years, and I've learned, learned to be a little faster. But it's 18 years that the nation is under discipline because they turned away from God. This is a powerful lesson that happens. We need to be soft-hearted enough to turn to God when he's disciplined on us. And be able to say, God, whatever you want me to do, <laughs> I surrender. And those are hard words sometimes for people, especially hard-headed people. Like I used to be most of my life, you know, very hard-headed. Hard to say, I surrender, I give up. You know, and we need to be able to do that. I surrender, I give up, I'm sorry. And how many people, and I met, I met so many people, and people have shared with me, you know, well, I got mad at this person three decades ago. They'll say 30, <laughs> 30 years. You know, three decades ago, I got mad at this person, and I'm still mad at them. I just don't forget, won't forgive them. And well, how hard is God working on your heart to try to change you? you know, how hard is he hitting you between the eyes and on the backside trying to get your attention? And... Then they'll complain about how miserable their life is and how they don't feel blessed. I go, well, of course you don't feel blessed. God's disciplining you. For 18 years, the children of Israel were not blessed. They are oppressed and crushed and not recognizing that it's coming from God. Uh, they would probably be saying, oh, what a run of bad luck we're having. You know, this is terrible. We haven't had good crops. These enemies keep abusing us. They're taking all the money that we create, you know, get and we're poor, and, and they're stealing our goods and our, and our produce. Same things that were being said when Gideon was, before Gideon was uh, raised up. You know, the Midianites were coming in and ravaging the land and destroying anything they didn't take. This is where they're at right now with the, with the, with, uh, the Philistia and the Midian and the Ammonites. Pretty, pretty powerful picture. And it's kind of amazing because we see this over and over in the book of Judges that the people take a long time to come back to God. And the further you get from God, sometimes the harder it is to come back to him. You know, it's pretty easy when you're walking with God and you're in the word and you're going to church and you get convicted real easy. And you, and you will go, okay, God, yes, I'm sorry. But if you can remember the times when you kind of walked away from church, walked away from God, how hard is it for God to get your attention? Pounding you with a two by four and 
and giving you a hard time and you go, well, gee, my life is really miserable, nothing's going right. You know, you know, maybe if you really thought about it, you have conviction deep in your heart, but you've dumped it so far down under your self-pity and, your, and you're upset about how bad life is going that you don't recognize the conviction anymore. And then finally, God gets you to turn back to him. And this is what we're going to see for, these, for the children of Israel. Question? Oh. And then it says in verse 9, Moreover, the children of Ammon passed over Jordan to fight against Judah and against Benjamin and against the house of Ephraim, so that Israel was sore distressed. Okay, so it starts out for 18 years with the two and a half tribes on the east side of the Jordan, which were the wrong side of the Jordan. They should never have stayed there, but they got their wish. Remember, they, they were supposed to all go over the land of Jordan, but they go, we like this land. It's good land for our animals. Well, in many of the times that Israel was put under captivity, they were first. <laughs> and the longest into captivity. They were on the wrong side of the, of the Jordan. They weren't in the promised land. And they were carnal Christians. They went basically carnal Christians. They lived on the wrong side of the promised land, the wrong side of, of spiritual life. And they go through a lot of hardships more often than not. And we see this all through here. Oftentimes, they're the first one. When Assyria, um, Babylon comes, they're the first one to go. When Assyria comes, they're the first one to come. Yeah, they, they keep getting the brunt of the battles, the brunt of the attacks. They're the first one to go into captivity, and usually the last one to come out of captivity. And this is what we see here. But this one is so severe, the, the Ammonites, which are just above the Dead Sea, if you look at, look at a map of the area, they're just above the Dead Sea, come across the Jordan, and they attack Judah and Benjamin and Ephraim, which are the southern tribes. Okay, uh, Judah is where Jerusalem is. It's the city of David. It's right there against the the central area. Benjamin is right underneath to the to the west, and Ephraim is right to the north of all of that. So the Ammonites aren't happy just beating up on the two and a half tribes. They come over the Jordan, and now these tribes, Benjamin and Judah are in a pinch between Philistia, which is on the west, and Ammon, the Ammonites from the east. So they're being attacked from two sides by these people and put under, under bondage. Verse 10, and the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, saying, we have sinned against you, both because we have forsaken our God and also served Baalim. And the Lord said unto the children of Israel, Did not I deliver you from, from the Egyptians and from the Amorites and from the Am children of Ammon and from the Philistines and the Zidonites also and the Am Am Amalekites and the Midianites that did oppress you and you cried unto me and I delivered you from their hand? Yet you have forsaken me and served other gods, wherefore I will deliver you no more. Go and cry unto the gods which you have chosen, let them deliver you in, in the time of your tribulation. Uh, just a little upset with them. Uh, and I think here when we see this statement in verse 10, the children of Israel cried unto the God, unto the Lord, saying. This word for cried literally just means proclaim. Okay? And I think with the, that there's no repentance in this first cry out to God. God, we've sinned. Come and help us. 
you know, mom and dad, grandma, great-grandpa, great-great-grandpa, they all tell us about the stories of your deliverance. You know, come and save us. We're, you know, we've been, we're, we're under all these tribulation. I don't think that there was repentance here because God's response doesn't show that they repented. Okay, it doesn't seem to be repentance here because later on in the chapter, we're going to see them repent and he delivers them. So I think this is just, this is when somebody is in the foxhole in the middle of battle, say, God, if you deliver me, I'll do anything for you. And then he delivers them, and they don't do what they said they're going to do. Okay? And many times when we're in the midst of a deep trial, especially the world when they're in the midst of a deep trial, will promise God anything to be delivered. This is what this one of these statements are. God, we have sinned. You know, God, we have really sinned. We're supposed to be serving you, and, and we've turned away from you. We forsook you. We turned our back on you, and we followed Baalim. Okay? And you note there's no repentance in here, no conditional, no, no saying we're sorry, we, we, we repent, or anything in this statement. And we see God's response. And we need to be able to say, and this is what I've said many times, just because somebody says what's called the sinner's prayer, Lord, I'm a sinner, you know, forgive me and come into my life and save me, I accept Jesus Christ, does not mean that they're, a sa that they're saved. Because if you don't believe the words, there's no power in the words. They're not abracadabra. You know, out pops the bunny out of the hat. <laughs> okay? And this is what they were trying to do. They were going, okay, we, 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 we called out to God and said we've sinned in the past and God's delivered us. You know, here's our magic God, words, God. God, we've delivered, you know, we, 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 we've uh, sinned against you and we've served other gods and not you. Come and save us. And I think this is what we're seeing in here is just their words. And God knows they're just words. The people aren't truly repentant yet. And this is what is so scary when we, when we see people who say they become a Christian and there's no change in their life. No, no difference in their life. No follow-up with, with a con conversion. And I sometimes will hear pastors on the radio even and, and other pastors, like, well, if you said this prayer, you are saved and you're going to heaven. I think that's a dangerous thing to say to somebody because it's not necessarily true if they don't believe it. They must believe the words and put their whole trust in Christ. And in this statement, God says, I know that you're not <laughs> meaning it. You're just speaking words. And that's when he said unto them, it gives them a history lesson. Did I not deliver you from Egypt, uh, from the Egyptians? There's the first big one. Okay, I took you from Egypt, and you know all those stories. You guys have probably been practicing the Passover. You know how, you know how the ten plagues hit, because that was their, that was their history. They would have known this, this stuff. And he goes, and from the Amorites and from the children of Ammon, so the ones that are bothering you right now on the east side of the Jordan, uh, east side of the Jordan, those are the ones I delivered you from. Oh, and by the way, if that wasn't enough, the, the, the Maonites did oppress you, and you cried, and I delivered you. The Zidonites, the Amalekites, all these ites that, they, that Joshua led the people of Israel into defeating. Which is why I said it's interesting that they served the gods of these, all these countries that had been defeated by their God. Because there was one statement in Judges, I don't remember, uh, Joshua, I don't remember if you remembered it, where they said, he defeated the God of the Hivites, but he's the God of the mountains, but he can't defeat us because we got the God of the valley. <laughs> okay? Each of these people put their trust in their God, 
And our God, the children of Israel's God, our God, wiped out all the gods. Okay? And then they went back to those gods that had been wiped out by the God they're supposed to be worshiping. The God that they're going to go back to and say, God, deliver us without believing it. You know, this is such, it's, it's a kind of a, almost a com comical thing when you think about it. Okay, we're going we're gonna to take the God that defeated all these gods. We're going to worship the defeated gods. Now we're, gonna, we're, we're, we're in trouble. We're going to go back to the God who defeated them all in the first place and ask him to come and help us. Those gods must have fun, fun things. The bad gods. They just have a lot of parties. <laughs> but, you know, it is kind of a very comical thing when you look at it, but it is also sad. But it's also the way we live our life, as I said before. We keep vacillating between following God and being living in victory and then walking in the flesh and being defeated and then finally repenting, walking in with God, sometimes saying, God, I'm tired of the life I'm living but not meaning, and then God gives us the answer he gave here, go follow the, you know, go follow the God you, choice because you're not, you know, chose because you're not ready to truly repent. And we do this in our own lives and go back and forth, back and forth. And the great news is we can keep going up more than down but there's always going to be those little downs, and hopefully our downs are less down than they were the previous time. So that if you look at the graph of your life, hopefully it's going up. <laughs> yeah, a little, little drop here where I do things wrong, but go back up. A little drop here, but I go back up. Uh, same thing when you look at a business graph. They, they never go straight <laughs> up and down. They always zigzag back and forth between highs and lows. And that is the way growth really works. When we're growing, there's going to be some falls. Hopefully we don't fall way down and have to come all the way back up. But here they're going so far down that God says, hey, here's a little history lesson. All in the past, I've delivered you. I defeated all these gods that you're following. Basically, that's what he's saying on this. I defeated the Zidonites and the Amalekites and the, and the Moites and the Amorites and the Philistines. All these gods that you decided you're going to go follow. I defeated those gods. I defeated those people. I took them away from you. And then this, this uh, verse 13, yet you have forsaken me to serve other gods, wherefore I will deliver you no more. Now, what a statement. To get so far down that God's going to say, oh, go, do, go wallow in the mud for a while. And he's done this a few other places, you know, but not quite as strong and as blatant as it is here. Well, I'm going to wait until you're really ready, really ready and you wanted, to, you wanted to serve those gods? And then I, I love this. Go and cry unto the gods which you have chosen. <laughs> Let them deliver you in your time of tribulation. Hey, you chose those gods? You know, uh, you go ahead. You wanted, you wanted them? Just you stick around with them for a while. You know, be careful of the side you choose to play on. You know, for us as Christians, we choose to leave the enemy's camp and, and enter God's camp. We need to stay there and not go back and forth and vacillate back and forth. And because he may just give us a little period of time where he says, you chose it, go talk to your own gods. And this is a message we've seen in other places and other prophets have said this message later on. Uh, Israel, you chose those gods? <laughs> yeah. What are you calling me for? Yeah. You wanted them? Go, go see if they can help you. And sometimes God will do that in our lives. If we're not fully ready to repent, he'll go, oh, just go talk to your God. You don't really want to come to me? You chose alcohol, drugs, uh, you know, sex, uh, you know, power, whatever it might be, you know, and, you're, and you're not happy? 
yeah, go, go talk to your God. <laughs> go talk to your God. See if it can deliver you. And that's looking for true repentance. And this is where we're going to get to as we get to the next part of this, this story. Verse 15. And the children of Israel said unto the Lord, We have sinned. Do unto us whatsoever seems good unto you. Deliver us only, we pray you, this day. And they put away the strange gods from among them and served the Lord. And his soul was grieved for the misery of Israel. Now there's a couple of things to point out here. In verse 15, this word for said is not the same word it was in verse 10 where they cried or proclaimed to the Lord we have sinned. This word said is there is a heartfeltness on this. God, we have sinned. Okay? This is a different. It's one thing to make a statement. When somebody just says the, the sinner's prayer and proclaims those words without any meaning, there's no power in them. When they proclaim, God, we have sinned and served other gods, they were just telling them facts. Facts God already knew. Uh, God could probably have been sitting up there and go, yeah, what, what else? You know, uh, I know that you have sinned. Uh, that's, that's obvious. I know that you're not serving me. That's obvious. And I know that you're, that you're serving other gods. So what's the news in your statement? God is looking for more from them. And when they get to this point in verse 15, they, have, they said unto God, we have sinned. And here's their repentance. Do to us whatever seems good to you. God, whatever it is you want to do, we're ready to accept. And that's the point of repentance. Repentance must have action behind it. Okay? If I say, God, I have sinned, and, I'm, and I repent, and I go right back and do the same sin again, I really haven't repented from it. Because repent means to turn away from and turn to God. So if I go, God, I repent of the sin, and I go right back and embrace that sin again, I have not turned away from that sin. I've said the right words. I, I've said, said everything right. But my actions say, no, you have not repented. This first one in verse 10 was, no, they had not repented. They, they, they were still serving the other gods because the next part of this was, you know, they pray and we pray you deliver us this day. And then the next part was, and they put away their strange gods from among them and served the Lord. We have repentance. God, we don't know what you're going to do, and right now we don't care. We're going to serve you. We're going to put away these other gods and choose you. God, if you don't give us great blessings, we're still serving you. This is where we are. When we turn back to God in true repentance, it cannot be for the idea that, well, I'm going to repent, and then God's going to bless me. Sin has consequences. You may have to go through some suffering because of the consequences for sin. When even though you've repented and even though God's forgiven you. And that's what they're saying. God, whatever you're going to do to us, do. Only deliver us. They did put one caveat there. They wanted delivered. Okay. So in one sense, I think this is a little bit off on their repentance because they're going, God, we have, we have one condition on our repentance. Deliver us. Other than God, God, do whatever you want with us. And, but they did do what they needed to do. They got rid of the idols. And this is the important step. When we repent, do we get rid of whatever it is that's been dragging us down and turn to God? 
I've, I've talked about this. This would be the person who gets rid of alcohol and says, God, I, I really think you're, you're telling me not to drink, but I'm going to keep these three bottles in the back of the closet somewhere just in case. There's no repentance there because you know darn well there's going to be just in case there's going to be something that's, that's really big. God goes to somebody who's caught up in pornography and goes, God, I'm going to give it up. I'm going to wipe it all off my computer, but I'm going to keep all my passwords so that I can get back in without having to re-sign up everything, just in case. God, I'm going to give up all my affairs, but I'm going to keep my black book or my computer contact list, whatever, whatever it might be. Okay? Those are not repentances. Those are not something that will lead to godly repentance and godly so sorrow. A Christian, and if they don't, like they want forgiveness, but if they don't really repent, like you say, and give up what they're doing, then they're not... They're not going to live for God. They're not living for God. They, if they're a true Christian, which they can be, it's, yeah. it's tough, but they're not going to live in fellowship with God because they have not repented. Because what they're doing, they're, they're doing sinful, and so until they stop what they're doing and really repent. Really repent, which doesn't mean they're not going to fall again in the, in the future, but you, you repent and you give up. You turn, to, you turn back to God. Well, and give up all the stuff you're doing. That doesn't mean you're never going to fall in that area again. But you've turned and you really say, God, I want to give this up. I'm giving up this relationship. I'm giving up the, the black book, the, the, the bottles in the back closet, whatever, whatever it is you're giving up. But, you know, so many times we have this little place where we've mapped out this little territory in our heart for Satan to have for sin in the middle of our righteous life, and we map out this little area and say, God, you can have everything in my life but this one little sin that I want to keep because I love it so much, and I want to love it more than I want to love you. And God, at least when we first start out, will say, okay, you'll, we'll let you have that one for a little while, but then he's going to work on getting rid of that. If somebody can live in a sinful lifestyle without conviction, then you have to wonder, because the Bible says very clearly, if you do these sins, and the tense in the Greek is continually do these sins, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. So when somebody, and that doesn't mean, okay, I have a real hard time with telling the truth and I lie. So, okay, God, I give up and I do well for a while and then I slip. And all of a sudden, God convicts me, and I go repent, and I go back, to, you know, go back to telling the truth, and then I slip. That is not what that verse is talking about. But, that, you know, but I'm going on, and I'm a liar, and I'm picking something that's a little <laughs> less controversial on purpose. Uh, and I go on, and I'm lying all the time, and I don't feel sorry about lying to you, and you don't know whether I'm telling the truth or, or lying to you because I lie so much. That becomes a habit, and there's nobody that doesn't know that, that lying's a sin. Okay, so if I can lie all the time and I'm not getting convicted, then I would have to say, am I really a Christian? Do I really know God? Now, if I have just lied so much that, that the conviction has really been kind of seared, but it's there, then I'm still his child. I'm just ignoring his conviction. So this gets us in a very tight place where we've got to be careful in our judging. You see, there was all 10 things on that list what they're saying on those kind of pages is, I can do whatever I feel like because that God, has saved, God has saved me and I'm going to heaven no matter what I do. 
But we need to be careful too because God may not have convicted them on that because he may be trying to get other bigger areas out of their life. But anybody who has that attitude of I can live in, and when they post that kind of thing, they're saying, these are sins, I know they're sins, yeah. but I'm going to choose to live this way and I'm still a Christian. I'm afraid those people most likely are not Christians. James talks about, show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. This fits into what you were describing. Okay, you're doing all these sins, all these activities. I'm having a hard time. Where is your faith? What is your faith in? He didn't say you weren't a Christian. He says you sure can't prove it. But if I come in and I show this is where God's grown me, these are the sins he's taken out of my life, this is, I'm falling more and more in love with God and cleaning out my life and going to church and spending time with God's people, I can show you that I'm making progression upward toward serving God and becoming more like him. Then you can say that person is most likely a Christian. Even that doesn't necessarily prove that they're a Christian. Okay, it just means that I can put trust in them, that they are a Christian. They're growing in God. They're loving God's word. They're becoming more like Him. Pretty much, pretty sure that they're a Christian. I would, I would place my bet on them that they're a Christian and going to heaven. Okay, not necessarily a guarantee because it still comes down to was that first prayer a real belief of prayer? You put your whole heart in God, and if somebody's growing, it was probably a real prayer. If somebody's not growing, not changed, they need to really look at their life and say, do I know God? And this is what I've said many times. If you say that you're a Christian and you can't see any change in your life from the time you became a Christian to the time you, wherever you're at, you need to look at your life and say, God, did I really put my life in you? Did you make me a new creation at that moment that I turned my life over to you? And this is the story you'll hear somebody, well, I said a prayer when I was eight years old. It didn't really mean anything. I said a prayer when I was 13 years old. It didn't mean anything. I said a prayer when I was 19 years old. And at 30, God changed my life. Well, you know what? I think at 30, you got, got saved. <laughs> you, you had a lot of practice praying before that. You, know, you had a lot of practice praying the prayer before that. But if there was no change in your life, it was just practice saying words. It was that day that it became a real change in your life and God changed you. He changed your state from sinful being to a saint. Especially if you used to do things before that and now, any, any little thing that I'm thinking of, or sometimes it's, I can't do that. <laughs> it's not my anymore. Yeah, no, no I, can, I can cheat from all my customers. I can lie to my customers. I can... You know, I can do this, that, or the other thing, and, you know, and then all of a sudden God comes into your life and it's like, God, I can't do business anymore. I've heard a lot of businessmen say that. How can I do business if I can't lie to the customer? You know, I, can't, I can't lie to them to sell this thing. Well, better tell the truth. Get something you can tell the truth about. But that is conviction. That is a change of heart, a change of life that says, I can't do what it is I've done. And as you, as you know, <laughs> Lynn said flywheel, the movie flywheel where he couldn't lie. You know, uh, but, you know, that's where, when you have that kind of change in your heart where all of a sudden what you used to be able to do, you can't do, that's when you can say, I was saved, or I am saved. God is changing who I was to who I am in him. And if somebody can go in and say, well, you know what, I just do what I want to do, and I'm a Christian, and I can go to church if I want to go to church, I can read my Bible if I want to go to church, read my Bible, or I can leave them alone, I can do whatever I want because I have liberty to do whatever I want, well, that person probably is not saved. 
all right? And I'm going to treat them as a lost person in my witness to them. I'm not going to treat them like a brother or a sister in Christ. Because basically everything they're saying to me is, I'm not, a, I'm not in the family, kind of playing around the edges. I might want to be in the family, but I'm not making the commitment to be in the family. The verse 10 prayer. God, we declare that we've sinned and served other gods. And God's saying, yeah, what's new? <laughs> you know, what's new? And this one here, they repent. God, do whatever you want and we will serve you. And they put away their gods. They put their prayer in action. Their repentance had action. God, we're destroying these idols and we're serving you. Repentance has to have action. Faith has to have action. Okay? It is one thing to say, God, I believe that you can do, fill in whatever it is you want in that blank, and then go off and not really believe it's going to happen and not believe that God's ever going to do it. But if you need something, if you want somebody to, if you have somebody who's uh, asking for prayer to be healed and they really want it and we pray for them expecting God to do it and we see God do it, it's a wonderful event. We talk about this. How many times do we think about praying to God and it's the last thing we think after we've done everything I possibly can do? What are we basically saying? I really don't believe in prayer, God. I don't believe in prayer well enough to put it first. All of us have been there, myself, all of us have been there where we, where we but doesn't they, he get tired? I mean, because now I ask a lot. He oh, he never gets tired of hearing your requests. Because now I figure, no, I'm asking first. I'm not even thinking about doing, trying to think I'm doing that's what, you, that's what he wants. Cast all your cares on him, for he cares for you. First Peter. God wants all of our requests on him because he cares for us. And he is big enough, strong enough, powerful enough that no matter what you cast on him, it's not going to be a care or burden to him. But I always think he has so many other things. I mean, just like little things, like even like, I can't find my glasses. Please, in you can. <laughs> no, please direct him. Or just little things. In How many times do we as parents have our kids come up to us and we take pleasure and give them the little, the little answers? The ones that are easy for us, you know. Uh, oh, you want you want to you want to buy the bag of candy? You know, okay, we'll do we'll do this one. I've got I've got well, whatever it takes nowadays, a buck and a half, two bucks to buy a piece of candy anymore. But you know, back in the old days, it was a nickel or a quarter. You know, here here you can have a nickel or a quarter to buy your candy. You know, but you know, when it's something simple for us as parents to give to our kids, we really love to do it for us if we're worth if we're worth being a parent at all. Think about this, though. God is omnipotent. There is nothing that's a big problem to God. Whatever we give to God is like us saying, here, have the quarter for your candy. Okay? We may think it's a huge problem in our life, but God is the Father, the omnipotent sovereign of the world. The Father says, oh, here, go get the penny candy, penny candy you want. And we're thinking, God, that was a really big problem. And God's thinking, no, it wasn't. He created the heavens, the earth, the world, the universe, and everything in it. And I've said this often, you know, we may think our problem's huge, but what big problem in our life is going to be big to God? You know, God's going to say, wow, that's a really big problem. I'm holding the whole world and universe together, and that problem is just so big, I don't know that if I can handle it. You know, and I'm making fun of it, but, you know, sometimes I've heard people go, well, I don't want to give God the little problems. I'll wait till there's a big problem. Anything we have to God is going to be a little problem. Okay? 
I hope that helps us change our mind when we look to God. But it is that he wants, he wants to do these things for us. You know, the sad thing for most of us as Christians is we somehow feel that God does not want to bless us. He does not want to give us our, our requests. And if we think that way, then we don't give him our requests. Well, God, I would give you this request, but I just don't think you're going to do it for me, so why waste my time? And God's saying, I just delight. I delight in giving to my children. Most good parents delight in giving gifts to their children, giving blessings to their children. If you love somebody, you want to give them blessings. You want to treat them. And God loves us so much more than we ever can imagine or even understand. And he's saying, I want to bless you. I want to give you these things. And so I'm not thinking, well, I want to use a lot of them. Well, that'll make your prayer life powerful. George Mueller learned from real simple prayers and then took mighty prayers to God. So, you know, and other, and other Christian leaders, as you read these, they start out with very simple prayers and then they learn how much God loves them. And the more we learn how much God loves us, the more powerful our prayers are going to be. Not that he wants us to use everything that we pray for on ourselves. He wants us to pray for others. Oh, yeah. But he also wants to bless us. He wants to give us good things and, and give us life as long as we're going to stay focused on him. Because in Deuteronomy, said, Moses told the people, when God blesses you and you have all these houses that you didn't build and these vineyards and these orchards, be careful that you don't turn your back on God. That is the hardest thing, and we don't ever think about it, but blessings can be the worst thing that can happen to you if you start depending on the blessings and not God. Always stay focused on the giver of the gifts, not the gifts. Always seek after God, the giver. Don't, and live and enjoy the blessings that he gives you, but always know that they're blessings and that he's the one that's given them to you. Because we see this all through Judges, we see them forgetting God and turning away. And most of the rest of the Bible is going to be about them forgetting God and turning away. They get their eyes off the giver. And we as Christians have to be very careful that we don't take our eyes off the giver and, and look at the blessings. And I've said this story many times. I've seen people over the years, they, they get all the little toys because they've gotten blessed by God. They get their RV and their quads and their boats and their summer homes or any portion of that, and then all of a sudden you never see them around the church because they're too busy playing with all their toys. They cook their eyes off the giver and put them on the gifts. Be very careful. The Bible's full of stories of where, where people have done that. Uh, oh, the last verse is verse 16. And his soul, God's soul, was grieved at the misery of Israel. Do you know that God grieves when he has to discipline us? He grieves at the pain that, it, that we're in. God's heart wasn't that he was just waiting to pound on, his, on, these, on the children of Israel. His heart was, I am so sad that I have to do this to you. That it took this much for you to come back. This is God's heart. We need to really understand God's heart when we deal with other people. Yeah. I heard a statement today and it, it you can know the word of God completely and still not know the heart of God. The Pharisees knew God's word really well, but they never understood God's heart, how much God loves us, how much he cares for us. Israel did not understand God's heart because he was in misery 
because he was grieved because of the misery he had to put them under. God loves us so much he does not want to see us in pain. He does not want to see us deprived. Now he knows what's good for us and he'll do what's good for us but it does not make him happy to do so. When people get sent into the lake of fire at the white throne judgment, God is not going to be up there clapping his hands saying, oh good, you got what, what you deserve. There's going to be tears in his eyes saying, I paid that price and you rejected it. There'll be tears in his eyes as they go into the lake of fire. He won't be excited that they went in there. It's his, it's his hope and desire that all will come to repentance. He knows that all won't, but he, his desire is that we would. And his, he grieves when there's punishment that has to happen, even if it's deserved and needed. Verse 17, And the children of Ammon gathered together and encamped in Gilead, and the children of Israel assembled themselves together at Mezpah, and the children and the people and the princes of Gilead said one to another, What man is he that will begin to fight against the children of Ammon? He shall be the head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. All right, so we end this chapter with two armies getting ready to face each other. And one has a king and a leader. The other one, just a bunch of ragtag guys saying, who's going to be our leader? And that's where we end this chapter. You know, hey, whoever, whoever chooses to be the leader will be, our, will be our leader afterwards as well. And we're going to end there. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love and care for us. Lord, help us to make decisions to seek after you. Help us to serve you in all times. Lord, help us to learn to repent quickly, to honor you and to follow you. And we just thank you and ask for your guidance. In Jesus' name, amen.